Hallo, meine Pietis, Social Distancer. Hey, hey, hey. Aber Finny. Here's Albert Finney. Don't tell me I don't work hard. Don't tell me I haven't earned the right to stop, take a breath, and enjoy life. Don't tell me I don't work hard. Don't tell me I don't take a time to dump a time to breath. Don't tell me I don't work hard. Don't tell me I haven't earned the right to stop, take a breath, and enjoy life. Don't tell me I don't work hard. Don't tell me I don't have the hope to have a tough job, soft, 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 that life. Don't tell me. Yeah, that's good, wasn't it? Yeah, now right from the very beginning on today's show, episode 208, I'd like to say thank you to whoever it is that's listening in Kenya. Welcome, you are the 37th country listening. Whoever, well, 37th person. <laughs> At least 37 people listen to this over a massive um, four corners of the world. The world doesn't have corners, does it? No, it wouldn't have fucking four corners either, unless it was a flat square. Anyway, um, yeah, but thank you, though, for listening in Kenya. So hello, Kenya. Um, The machine went bing. Right, so it's a good, funny week this week. Probably the biggest news in terms of um, you know, the COVID-19, which is what this podcast is supposed to be about, is the tussle between the EU and AstraZeneca, which I will talk about, but I find it quite dull, unfortunately. So I'll talk about that a little bit. But the most exciting news is the news that Trump was a, well, still is, a Russian uh basically a Russian informant. He was compromised. They started following him in 1977. The Czechoslovakian secret service uh, were started to follow him in 77 after he married a woman from what was then known as Czechoslovakia. And uh, in 1980, uh, in 1980, he opened up Trump Tower in New York and he got a job lot of 200 televisions from this uh, Russian guy uh, in New York somewhere. And he was working for the KGB and his job was to basically be a talent spotter. And he spotted this arrogant fucking idiot Trump who was just getting started and he thought... Yeah, let's let's keep our eye on that clown. And they did. In 1987, he um, went to uh, Russia for the first time uh, on a KGB-funded trip. It was like some kind of front, uh, but, you know, KGB was pulling the strings to this organisation that brought Trump over. And they realised, you know, it wasn't very difficult for the masterminds in the KGB to get under Trump's skin. They realised if you just flatter the fucker, he will do what we want. And obviously it worked. You know, the the uh, guy that's come out now, this ex-KGB uh, agent, whose first name is Yuri, Yuri has, has um, collaborated with this uh, guy called Craig Unger, who has written a book called American Compromat. And it's all about how Trump has been, uh, you know, kind of compromised by the uh, KGB. 
And Yuri says, yeah, it was really simple for us to get under Trump's skin because, uh, you know, he's a fucking idiot, basically. He's an idiot with a massive ego and all you do is flatter him and then it's it. That's fine. And so what happened was that the... So they were kind of monitoring him right from the 70s and then after the, uh, he's bought all those TVs, like the guy from who was working for the KGB said, yeah, let's... We've got to kind of like keep our eye on this guy. And then he was formally approached by the daughter of the American, uh, the the, uh, USSR ambassador to the States at the time, whose name was also Yuri as well. There's lots of Yuris in this uh, story. Well, two. Two Yuris isn't a lot of Yuris, but, you know, I go my life months at a time without coming across any Yuris, you know? And uh, now I'm talking about two Yuri's. So for me, you know, relatively speaking, two is a lot of Yuri's. Anyway, Yuri number one, the um, American uh, ambassador, he was just like this fucking guy. Like, he didn't even speak English, this guy. He was just like, like, plonk there. You know, Reagan's America didn't really, (laughs) like, too much. You know what I mean? He was, okay, like, you know, now you're going to work with us. You fucking idiot. So it's all brilliantly um, uh, chronicled in this book. And Luke Hardin, also the Guardian journalist, has written a book about it as well, which I think is called Collusion. It is called Collusion. So it's like, you know, people are coming out of the woodwork saying, yeah, yeah, it's happened. So imagine that. Incredible, eh? It really worked out well for them. Now, when he came back in uh, 1987 from Russia for the first time he thought I'm going to get into politics they put that idea in his head they said a big guy like you bright guy fantastic thinker you know you got the brain haven't you you got the fucking smarts Trump and you got the money there's nothing stopping you don't go for mayor don't go for fucking, what, senator? Fuck that. You could be president one day. Imagine that. I mean, it's unbelievable that this actually happened. Incredible that that actually happened. He came back, and for the first time ever in his life, he started talking about, I'm going to get into politics. Incredible. 1987, right? 1987. He even did a meeting for the Republican Party, like a kind of public meeting in New Hampshire, he bought out a, an advert in the New York Times and a cu- couple of other papers, I think, um, saying, you know, America foreign policy needs to be, uh, you know, hardcore. Like, you know, the first little steps into politics. And it was put there by the KGB. So now here is Anthony Gormley, the celebrated artist, talking about dogs. I've been doing dogs, and I, 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 I don't know why I started doing dogs. It was completely uh, unconscious. I've now done about six dogs, and each of them is very different, and uh, they're, they're no known breed. Yeah, I sort of, evening comes, and I kind of, my my fingers are uh, itching to do something, and I... I should know better to do dogs. So the vaccine is rolling out in the UK. Uh, good numbers, very good numbers. Um, over 
400,000 people today and it's been a bit down this week but um, nevertheless over 200,000 every day so that's good and obviously then you have a day that comes along with 400,000 so it's reported today but this is yesterday's uh, total that kind of bumps it up a bit doesn't it ah so you know that's all good and i expect to be vaccinated in the next couple of weeks i'm very much looking forward to it my partner also works in education is expected to be vaccinated as well i think a lot of people in um, education are, are pushing for vaccines uh, especially if you're working with vulnerable um, kids um, so that's really excellent. I mean, you know, I can't wait and I'll have a detailed description of when it happens. And hopefully I don't have any side effects, but I don't expect any side effects, you know, apart from maybe feeling a bit woozy for a couple of days. Um, I have a flu vaccine and, you know, that's all good, isn't it? Ah. So slowly getting them uh, sorted in terms of all of the 80-year-olds, 80s, all of the 80s. Now, though, having said that, there are um, still uh, differences, discrepancies in the people that are being vaccinated. So for uh, people aged 80 and over, there's a big difference between white uh, people in the UK and non... Oh, sorry, this is in England, actually, and non-white over 80-year-olds... So 42.5% of white 80-year-olds in England have been vaccinated. Now, that's only 29.5% of South Asians and only 20.5% of black uh, over 80-year-old people. And so there are reasons, like historical reasons, that we've talked about in the past on this podcast, why uh, people from black and minority ethnic backgrounds are suspicious of medicine suspicious of the state and you know with good reason because you know um, not so long ago certainly in the kind of memory and the lifetime of anybody above 80 uh, you know white essentially racist uh, kind of <laughs> medical practice was carried out on black and minority ethnic communities uh, across the board you know and even now we have a kind of um, like an establishment way of thinking in terms of medicine where lots and lots of just assumptions are made in terms of how um, you know medicine uh, how illness presents itself and assumptions about black and minority ethnic uh, bodies and people in terms of you know how uh, people are affected by illnesses and disease i mean you know an obvious version of this is the plaster the kind of you know traditional color uh, of a plaster doesn't reflect the skin of somebody that isn't white and it's just like you know kind of one of i mean that's in itself is uh, is a bit of a problem but when it comes to how you're treated in hospital, how you're dealt with, um, no wonder there is this uh, scepticism around the vaccine. And, uh, you know, 
it, the, the, the information is out there if you can go and find it, but it isn't as in your face as it should be. And uh, of course, it goes alongside this. The people that are most susceptible to COVID-19 from a, in terms of, um, you know, race and ethnicity are non-white people. So, you know, there must there should be a huge publicity drive um, to inform people that it is safe and it is like the the easiest best uh, like by far the best thing to do is to get the vaccine and you know I expect if you're listening to this you're convinced like if you found this you're convinced that getting the vaccine is a good idea but I I do know you know just you know I have no idea the ethnicity of the person that's living in Kenya listening to this for instance but I do know I've got listeners all around the world so you know take the fucking vaccine for crying out loud obviously you know do your own research about it I expect you're doing this anyway if you're listening to this podcast but please take the vaccine you're going to do the number one thing you can do to stop yourself getting uh, very ill seriously ill and from dying is to take the vaccine. There's no question about that. Absolutely no question about that. And in terms of the efficacy for the vaccines, are more and more coming, kind of coming on stream as we speak. Um, you know, all of them prevent death. Uh, it's fantastic. Some more than others. Some more than others. <laughs> some more than others are uh, better at, you know, keeping you, um, you know, free from total illness. Okay. And of course, like with any medicine, there's like, obviously, there's there's no kind of guarantee for anyone. I mean, there's a, you still need to. I mean, one thing we've got to get our heads around, all of us, when we get the vaccine, eventually, I mean, if you listen to Europe, in Europe, you're thinking, fucking vaccine boy, Jesus, I haven't got a fucking stiff of this vaccine. But when you do get it, make sure... In the first couple of weeks, uh, well, until you get your second dose, actually, three weeks after your second dose, make sure that you are being absolutely scrupulous. Like, do not slack off, okay? And obviously, don't slack off before you get the fucking thing in your arm. Do you know what I mean? But even when you do get the thing in your arm, then don't slack off. Be absolutely scrupulous because we've got to dodge this thing. And the new variant, which is rife in, in the UK, and it is the main variant now in the UK, is 55% more transmissible, it is um, 30 to 40% more deadly as well. So, you know, it's it's bad. But, you know, the message here is no matter where you are listening um, to me from, no matter what your, uh, your, your culture, your race, your ethnicity, you know, this vaccine is, is the way out of this, of this problem as well as, obviously, the kind of, you know, uh, things we're doing every day, almost unconsciously now, wearing a mask, ventilation, keeping two, three metres away from people, and washing your hands, and not letting any bastard breathe on ya. AstraZeneca debacle hopefully that will um, get peaceful and places in Europe get the vaccine really quickly 
Oh, by the way, um, Lost Season 2 is at the end of this show. So after the outro music, you might want to listen to that. And um, now just a quick word on Long Covid. We've got a uh, independent sage were looking at Long Covid today. And they had a spokesperson on there as a kind of special guest, as it were, to give some info about it. And uh, by the way, over 10 million people, it's estimated, have had COVID-19 in the UK already. Um, More than 3 million people have been tested for it and have had it, you know, confirmed cases. Uh, 3.8 million uh, by by um, you know March, and um, so at least 10 million people have had COVID. Um, so bad that it's even got to 100,000 uh, using the 28-day cases, and that fucking sausage came along saying, well, "We did everything we could," only to be reminded by everyone, "Well, what about locking down the first time too late? What about?" ignoring the circuit break in September? What about doing nothing to actually physically change the way that you're going to be doing schools? Just telling, sending out fucking emails to schools to do it yourself with no more funding. <laughs> Unbelievable. What about eat out to help out? You know, fucking, that's nice. Uh, 10% of the cases after that, debacle. Debacle. Um was down to eat out to help out eat me out and help me out and um what about christmas what about not being on top of the new variant quick enough what about what about what about like every single term every single turn of this government has been an absolute joke a total travesty and again now with long covid we have got a serious problem on our hands because we do do not know with covid19 how it is going to affect people long term and it is not an elimination strategy that the government has. They've never had an elimination strategy. They do not have one at the moment and although cases are very slowly coming down, very, very slowly, because there's so many people out more, it's nothing like the first lockdown, as anyone in Britain knows, um, cases aren't coming down fast enough and there is a... a um, you know, an expectation that cases are going to get down to the point where they can open schools on March the 8th. They probably will open schools on March the 8th on the basis that the first four groups will have been vaccinated. Um, but, you know, still, and hopefully that will, um, you know, the vaccination of those most vulnerable. Well, let's get this straight. They wouldn't be fully vaccinated. Very, very few of the first four groups would be fully vaccinated. But the first four groups should have had their first of two doses of the vaccination. And so hopefully that will, you know, cut the death rate. Three weeks after your first dose, you're inoculated to a massive degree, you know. Um, So with all of the, you know, mask wearing and all the rest of it, hopefully we can cut that death rate like drastically down to the point where it is okay to open schools on March the 8th but still you know it's going to be around like for you know a long long time and so long Covid is something that we are going to have to live with and here's a couple of points on on long Covid 
There's an increasing need now. It's estimated 300,000 people with um, have symptoms five to 12 weeks after their initial symptoms, and obviously, like you know, longer than that as well. Um, there's a problem with staffing, training, and capacity. Like, how do you look after people with long COVID? Uh, defining and understanding the causes of long COVID, um, the patterns of the symptoms. Um, how long it takes to recover, getting that you know information out there so people have some kind of expectation that it isn't just that you you know stick in your house for two weeks and then come out again and it's over because for many people a good proportion you know if 10 million people have had it and 300,000 people are still suffering from it, that's a good proportion of people are going to be. You know, suffering from you can do the maths. <laughs> suffering from it after having it. Um, understanding the value of diagnostics. Uh, having correct modelling to set up correct numbers of clinics and community services. So they're not counting the people that have long COVID. The uh, government's um, you know kind of data set that they publish every. Every day, you know, the number of people in hospital, the number of confirmed cases, the number of deaths, the number of people in ICU. You can even find out the number of people that have been taken places in um, ambulances and the number of 111 calls. But there is no number of people registered as having long COVID. We don't know what that number is. 300,000 is just an estimation. Uh, ensuring services meet the needs of the individual and families. Um, okay, obviously, what treatments work? We need a kind of, you know, start to build up a body of evidence about what works, um, what management works, and um, also a major driver in all of this is making sure that you know the people that need it the most actually get it. And in many areas, when it comes to COVID-19, and inequalities in society generally it's uh, people that aren't white people from black and minority ethnic communities um, you know they, they need the support so it's a, it's a big big health crisis on its own terms if COVID-19 uh, finished tomorrow just like went away from the world We'll still have this massive legacy health problem for, you know, well, who knows? Who knows? There's a big fear that people have that we know that it affects the, the lungs and the heart. We know that it changes the structure of the heart. But we also know that it affects the brain. And people are looking back at the data that came out of the um, 1912 flu. And many people that suffered the flu in 1912, the big pandemic, They then went on to get dementia. And so there's a fear that this is going to have a long-term effect on, on the brains of the people that have got long COVID at the moment. So there's a cheery little bloody side issue for you, isn't it? Yes. Uh, to, to change the subject rather massively, do you remember that bit in my favourite film? Um, uh, no, not bloody Home Alone. What's it called? Back to the Future 3. Yes. Well, it's not even my favourite Back to the Future film. It's not even my second favourite Back to the Future film. And there's only three of them. <laughs> well, 
But do you remember that amazing bit at the end? This really bizarre bit. Incredible that it got through the edit. I mean, I don't know what the hell the editor was thinking. But there's genuinely this bit. You probably know. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But YouTube it if you don't believe me. There's this bit at the end when um, old Buck Rogers is there with his big time machine. What's his name? Doc. Doc. Doc Cotton. Doc. You know the Doc. Doc. Uh, the Doc is there with his time machine train. Yeah, it's a train, isn't it? The DeLorean is under the train. So the DeLorean is no more, but the time machine train appears. And he's come back from the future. And he's now got two sons. And one of his sons literally gestures to the camera and then points at his penis. Highly disturbing. So, yeah, that's good, isn't it? (laughs) Episode 208. Hope you enjoyed it. And thank you ever so much for listening. Next episode is going to be next Friday. Have a great weekend if it's the weekend. And if it isn't the weekend, just have a great whatever day it is that you're listening to. Now, we're going to focus on the cricket. Um, This is the... it, It goes by many names, this little insect. And what it does is it's, it's got tiny little tap dancing shoes and it does a little tap dance on the leaf and goes ticke, 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 ticke. And we're going to think of the cricket. One, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Take care of yourselves. Remember all the basics. And see you later. Lost season four. I'm going to hurry up this week. I can't remember much, so let's just get on with it. Also, most people switch off at this part, so if you are listening, the fucking uh, no one does, but uh, there's only two more of these to go after this one. So anyway, spoilers alert. Spoiler, spoiler for Lost season four. Now, season four is one of my favourite seasons. Why? Because of Daniel Faraday. Fantastic. And Desmond Hume. And there's a great episode, probably the best episode in the entire show, called The Constant, which is in season four, where Desmond Hume has this kind of spatial temporal problem, whereby he basically, uh, his body goes into unconsciousness 
and his conscious mind leaps back to a part at another time in his life, like in his past, and um, he keeps having these things, oh, what happened, what happened. Anyway, brilliant episode, The Constant, fucking check it out. And Daniel Faraday is a great, uh, the guy's a great actor, can't remember what his name is, but he's really good, he's my favourite character by some way, and there's quite a lot of people that I really enjoy in Lost, um, but he's the best, Daniel, I love him. I love Daniel Faraday, yes. Kimi, I love Kimi a lot as well. Kimi's this rough-looking dude, massive guy. I don't know whether, what this guy used to be, a wrestler or a football player or something. American football, I'm talking, because he's a big American fucking brick shithouse, basically. Uh, I don't know what his actor's name is. His actor's name? <laughs> um, anyway, Kimi is this mad marine who is um, in charge of a small squadron of men who have been charged with... Uh, getting Ben Linus off of the island at Charles Widmore's expense. And it's Charlie, Charles Widmore's boat. Charlie said it's not Penny's boat. No, it's Penny's dad's boat, Charles Widmore's boat, the freighter. And um, there's a couple of people knocking about on the, on the freighter. But the main thing is that um, we've got, uh, what's his name? Fucking Daniel Faraday. Is a physicist. You've got this character called Miles, who I quite like, um, and he speaks to dead people. Then you've got this other um, anthropologist, and she is uh, she's in it as well. And um, <laughs> and then you've got Naomi, but Naomi's killed by John Locke. Anyway, the point is that Kimi comes uh, into the uh, onto the island. He hunts down Ben. He has already killed his... Um, so Ben is the father of this uh, girl called Alex. And Alex is 16. And Alex is uh, essentially a recurring character. Um, and her boyfriend is a recurring character as well. And so his mother. Her mother is Rousseau. And essentially what happened was that Alex kidnapped Rousseau... Uh, Alex. Sorry, Ben kidnapped Alex when Rousseau, uh, you know, was like a new mother. So Alex was very, very young. And, um, you know, Ben kind of brought her up as his own. And they've got a very complex relationship, as you can imagine. Um, nevertheless, uh, you know, Ben is the, really the only person in the world, it's seemingly, that Ben gives a shit about. And Kimi, spoiler alert, big spoiler alert coming up, Kimi kills Alex in front of Ben's eyes. Um, so that's not good. And very brilliant bit of TV. But that's not good, is it? No. And guess who else is on the boat? Michael. Yeah, Michael's back. Fantastic. Michael's feeling really bad because he killed a couple of people. Oh, I didn't tell you about that, did I? No, so I won't fuck it up now. But anyway, Michael's back. He's on the boat. Guess what happens? There's a couple of people in season four. It tracks uh, the Oceanic Six, who are the six survivors. As the world gets to know them, the only six survivors of um, the Oceanic Flight. And these are Jack, Kate, Hurley, um, uh, Saeed, um, uh, the baby, the um, 
what's his name? Bloody Aaron. Is that his name? Yeah. Aaron, who's the um the baby, the baby who's Claire's baby, Claire's goes missing. And um, Kate starts looking after Aaron and pretends that she's Aaron's mum. And so basically they um, get a fucking, they get out of there. In a convoluted way, they get out of the island. They get off the island. There's a helicopter going from the freighter to the island, um, uh, piloted by this very charismatic guy called Frank. And um, yeah, so that's kind of part of the way that they get off the island. And, um, yeah, is that six? Did I count six? Jack, Kate, the baby, Hurley. Oh, and Sun as well. Sun gets off the island as well. Yeah, that's good. So that's good. So quite a lot of the backstory is about what happens, you know, off the island. And it's all very good. But the main thing that happens on the island is that there's this big attempt to get Ben um, from the Marines on the freighter. There we go. Under six minutes. Oh, beautiful. Now, what were we doing in uh, five? Five is interesting because the only way that what's his name thinks that he can escape from um, Ben can escape from Charles Widmore's clutches is to move the island. So season four ends with Ben moving the island. And guess what happens? Yep, it goes back in time. <laughs>